The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. And Ethan Broga. Good to see you, Ethan. Good to be here. We're both certified financial planners. I have a master's degree in financial analysis. Ethan has a master's degree in financial planning. And our goal and purpose for the show is to help educate you on how to make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions, help you build and preserve the fruits of your labor. That's right. our other partner, Jack, would would often say. That's right. Uh, So we've covered, Ethan, we were just talking about how, you know, in the course of being on Voice America here for a few months, uh, how much inf- how much useful information we've covered? I mean, you could you could uh, many many nuggets, e nuggets, if you will, of of kernels of of good. <laughs> I think knowledge. it's sta- it's a staggering amount of information. <laughs> it really is. Well, I mean, the question I have is uh, how how do we cover so much in so little time? I don't know when the media covers so little in so much time. <laughs> yes. Daily uh, bombardment of, of, of noise and mostly useless stuff. Yeah. So, well, Ethan, why don't you give out our, our contact information? I know we're we're going to talk about uh, alternative and start the with the meat of the of the week, as you like to call it. Right. Uh, and we were going to talk about. Uh, today we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about um, alternative investments. Is it a cowbell? Yeah, it's the meat. Are we making week. it a special point to play as many sound effects as little time as possible today? Today we're gonna come out. We've taken a break. Last few shows has been all serious, and so I'm trying to have more fun. I see. Uh, so today's discussion though will be serious, very very serious. Um, could be the difference between. Um, Financial success. I mean, I don't know how to uh, to express the gravity, right? But um, we'll start with a little talk about alternative investments on a paper we recently wrote. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, and then we'll go. Uh, also, Ethan, sorry, I keep backtracking here. No, I like. Well, it. well then, then we'll we'll talk about uh, a little bit if there's time 
on some of the predictions for 2011. Oh, that you know, sounds good. We do a regular kind of a vaulting segment, yeah. um, and then maybe a maybe a, a, a question from the mailbag. What, do we have uh, time for all that? I don't know. We'll see. Wow. We got to stay focused. All right. Um, so why don't you go ahead and give out our contact information? Yeah, you bet. Do, do your thing. As usual, we can be reached at uh, via email at contact at empiradio.com, uh, or we can be reached here at the office locally at 800-923-4307. And feel free to mention the radio and ask for Ken or Ethan. We'll be happy to speak with you. And just as a reminder to um, any individual investors out there, if you're looking to have uh, an expert review your portfolio for you, uh, we'd be happy to do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. No, seriously, uh, if you're looking for some help, looking for some guidance, we'd be more than willing to talk with you a little bit about uh, you know, steps you can make to improve your, your portfolio and uh, also make sure it's, it's set up to fit your, your specific situation. So we'd love to hear from you on that end. And also, if you're a, an advisor currently advising, working with clients, and perhaps looking to partner up with a, a firm like ours, we'd love to hear from you as well. You know, um, if you're, you're finding it difficult to meet all of the demands of, of clients and research and compliance and all the other things that go into a successful practice, um, you know, we've, like I've mentioned before on the show, we've developed a pretty good system here at Empirical, and uh, we'd love to hear from you in, in terms of perhaps partnering up and, and working together. So... Give us a call, 800-923-4307. Good job, Ethan. Thanks, Ken. Okay, well... Um, I think I should get my own sound effects. Hey, I'm, I am. We've Simon. seen this before. I'm not stopping you, dude. Uh, I want better sound effects. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, we'll, get you, we'll get you some. We'll get you some. Uh, so let's talk about our primary topic today, which is alternative investments. The market's been uh, doing quite well recently, um, Ethan, so we've we've been in this, uh, I guess you could call it a, a, a bull market at this point. Would, would you classify it as, as that? Are we in a... Yeah, I mean, it's a recovery certainly on stock prices, no doubt about that. Okay. I mean, from, from the bottom here, we've had some pretty amazing uh, recovery uh, no I don't doubt. have those numbers on our, mo- our on the empirical model portfolios. From the bottom, I, we we update that every quarter, but it was well over a hundred percent. Yeah, I think the uh, the the high the all equity premium five portfolio, which is our most aggressive equity allocation, was up nearly uh, I want to say one hundred thirty percent from the bottom. From the bottom, yeah. And that's just to uh, in the course of disclosure here. These are just our we're giving out model numbers right. of our portfolio that don't account for individual situations or any management fees that we would charge as a financial advisor on that. <clears throat> There's no, we're not making an offer for any kind of an investment or guaranteeing any kind of future results. We're just tracking a model of, uh, of funds that we would, as a kind of a standard model that we would use as a globally diversified portfolio. Mm-hmm. And we'd be love to tell you about how we're building these portfolios and how we're adding value to our client situation. So give us a call if you want to find out how we, you can build a portfolio using in, Empirical to do that. But the general idea being that from the bottom point, we've had a pretty significant run-up. And one of our questions we'll get to is, um, what does that mean if you have cash on the side, if you've been on the sidelines? Oh, yeah. So we'll get to that in the questions of the the mailbag segment. Sounds good. Week. But uh, 
We wrote a paper about uh, alternative investments, and one of the reasons we chose to do that, we've tried to keep the topics timely in our communications that we send out to clients and our investors. And that reminds me, if you want to subscribe to automatically get our our quarterly and uh, sometime intra-quarter communications, you can do that. Simon, are you are you here with us? Is there a place where people can subscribe to these quarterly communications? Or can they shoot us an email at contact at, at empiradio.com and say, I'd like to subscribe, and we'll put them on our automatic list to shoot them out a quarterly, these, these papers, research. Yeah, I mean, the form out. Speaking to the, the microphone, Chief. We can add a link on the uh, form on the website. Oh, okay. You can just fill in their... Uh, their email address and their name, and then it'll automatically sign them up for the, uh, the newsletters. Okay, well, we'll get that up there. In the meantime, just email us at contact at com. You know, I, I think it's a pretty good idea. I'm surprised we haven't done this before, but the communications we typically write are not your normal, you know, advisor, run, run advisor, the mill. advisor perspective. I, I look, I look yeah. at other, other letters that, uh, that are produced by advisors and stuff uh, across the competitive landscape. And it really is a sort of a redigesting of what's in the news, it seems like, most of the time. Right. It's a, a prognostications, sort of predictions, what's hot, what's cold, what's lukewarm, what asset classes they like and don't like, and things like that. Um, this, is, this isn't this is that type of newsletter. You can get that other type any, anywhere else you want, but I really like the type of thing that we produce here in-house. It really just focuses, focuses on the things that are really ultimately important uh, in, in, in the portfolio, not so much, again, guesswork as to what direction the market's going. Yeah, I... Uh Oh, okay. Go ahead, Sam. You on the EMPI on our radio website, uh, which is what's our website address again for the radio? EMPIRadio.com. Okay, EMPI Radio. Under contact us. Okay. There's a little form they can fill out to subscribe. Okay. Oh, we should start talking about that. And you're right. I agree 100%, Ethan. I mean, what we tried to do, which oddly that this is so entirely unique in our business is look at real practical issues of financial planning or investment planning. Right. And rather than the nonsensical noise that goes on from day to day, we try to say, hey, what? let's cut through the, the heart of this matter. What's the real practical application of all this information? Let's whittle down the important aspects of it and get to something that somebody could actually implement or make changes or confirm a good thing that they're doing. Right. Uh, right away. And so that's what we're trying to do in these letters. And so today, I thought we could talk about this idea of alternative asset classes because every time we go through a market downturn or a market crisis of some kind, a whole new line of, of products come come into existence uh, and or <laughs> old right. products that were inferior and people tended to avoid um, become popular again because during the, the downturn, right, they they do did well i guess you could say so what we did is we said hey let's you know we made an entire list of well first is defining hey what what is a traditional investment asset class and so for our all intents and purposes we're talking about basically us stocks developed country uh, international stocks even emerging market stocks we're classifying now as more traditional yeah although 15 years ago maybe they would have been we probably more in the alternative asset class section. Uh, U.S. Treasuries and basic corporate and, and government bonds, 
um, CDs. Those are all would be more traditional asset classes in terms of uh, us. Alternative asset classes are things that tend to fall outside of that. And a few examples in this letter, we broke it down between asset classes that we invest in that we're classifying as alternatives and those that we don't, that we avoid. And so some examples, and I won't go through all of them, are things like publicly traded REITs, real estate investment trusts, uh, commodities futures, uh, fixed immediate annuities, hedge funds, private equity, uh, directly owned real estate. We talk about that. Gold and uh, commodities, as we mentioned. Currency trading, structured products, preferred stocks, convertible bonds, collectibles, variable annuities, life settlements. This whole issue of life settlements has become very, very popular and got a lot more press recently. Uh, so we just take a, we'll just talk about a few. How's that sound, Ian? I think that sounds great. Okay. Got a, about a minute or so here. Let's start with uh, a little discussion on uh, uh, you know, for primary residence or real estate. And uh, I think it's interesting because as we came out of the technology collapse there, the dot-com bubble, whatever mm-hmm. we're calling it, um, a lot of people turned towards real estate. And it was we were talking about this yesterday, Ethan. That yep. it kind of is. It's it's kind of fascinating that uh, people went from one bubble where they they concentrated on a large amount of technology stocks and underplayed the risk, uh, and rolled right into another bubble. And what was appealing about, I guess, real estate was the fact that it was a concrete, physical asset that people thought and perceived to be very safe that wouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm setting this up because another one of these classes, gold, had it's eerily familiar what's gone on there. Right. Let's take a quick break though, and we'll come back and pick up on this when we get back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. 
autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basili, radio to thrive by. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back. We are talking about alternative investments today, and... uh, Prior to the break, there we were just we had just defined the main categories, and we were talking about real estate as one of those. And uh, Ethan, real estate we kind of look at in a couple of different broad categories. Yep, that uh, we can talk about, and one of the most popular being uh, home ownership. Sure, and uh, in our view, we call that a lifestyle asset. And so I thought maybe we could talk about that, and you could share a little bit. What What is a lifestyle asset, and how do you view it in a person's retirement slash investment plan here at Empirical? Yeah, a, a, a lifestyle asset is, is an asset that actually obviously has value, um, but we're not going to rely on that that value or that, that equity um, for purposes of drawing income. So a house is a perfect example. Frequently you, get, you reach retirement age, and perhaps you've paid off your mortgage, you don't owe any money on the home. You have a lot of equity in the house, but the house itself isn't producing equity for you. So you can't draw cash flow from it, for example, because you're living there. Um, so from that perspective, we, we tend to exclude that type of asset from the pool of assets in which you'll be drawing off of to, to supplement your retirement income needs, basically. So in essence, we exclude it for planning purposes, unless we have you know, communicated with the client or talked to the client about, hey, is your plan to sell this thing? Maybe you have a $2 million home and you know, in retirement, you want to own a million million dollar home. Well, in that case, you'll you'll sell a two million dollar home, then you'll you'll invest a million bucks uh, in the portfolio, and, and use another million dollars to buy your another home. But then that new home is not included in typically in the retirement planner. So basically, you can convert lifestyle assets to investment assets at right. any point in time. Mm-hmm. But typically, uh, you know, unless you're running a we're running a plan and say, hey, we're 
all your all your potential equity here is tied up in a home. You have no retirement assets. We're going to have to talk about converting some of these. Sure. But for most people, we find, and this is all very specific to each individual, right? They would like to have their primary residence be separate from. Hey, I don't want to have to start liquidating that, right? Or renting out rooms to survive, or whatever. Um, if we can build a plan in which I get to keep my home, whatever ultimate destiny of home that's going to be right. at retirement. Basically, you want to have that. Be, most folks prefer to have that home equity uh, as a choice to sell. They don't want to be forced to at some point in time based on a plan that we've drawn up. So they want to have that built-in flexibility toward the obviously toward the end of their lives where they don't want to be pushed out of their home because they need to be out. They want to have to make that choice on their own. Right. Now, where people, I think, in our view, we look at it, uh, Ethan, is this is not, you shouldn't look at this. A lot of people look at their home as like their best investment. Or I know when I was growing up, it was my dad always thought, hey, your, my house is my, my best investment. You know, I never lost money on it, such and so forth. But when you know, and we talk about knowing your market history, I think when people came, we came out of the first stock market decline in the, of the last two in the 11-year period here, People thought, well, real estate, I'll pull my money out of stocks, typically at the low point after the market had declined, and I'll start buying up real estate because interest rates are low, and real estate is perceived to have, I think a lot of the people we were talking to at that time that were doing this, were perceiving real estate to be less risky. And there's tax advantages with the structure of the debt, right? Mm -hmm. You can use debt to leverage and to buy real estate. Um, and one of those being the primary residence in our view is, well, if you actually know market history, and Robert, Professor Robert Schill from Yale has, has written a lot about real, the real estate market and the bubble and, and uh, tracks real estate prices. He developed the Schiller. Yeah, the Case Schiller uh, Index. Case Schiller Index mm -hmm. and all these things. And basically what he said is, hey, look, real estate has barely kept pace with inflation. There's been no in single. We're talking about single family homes here. Yeah. Uh, there's been, you know, time periods where markets have collapsed significantly in price, and taken decades to recover. Um, this is a, a potentially risky asset class with a very low expected return. So it's not something that we would, you know, I, I would look at as, um, hey, this is a great investment. I think a lot of people think that and they wind up trying to buy a house very quickly, and I think it's part of it's because in our country, the idea of owning a piece of property has a certain uh, esteem to it, mm -hmm. that you're a landowner or property owner, mm -hmm. rather than renting, as an example. Um, so anyway, what we would recommend is, certainly there are many psychological benefits of having a home, and uh, for you, Ethan, getting in the attic and blowing insulation around. I love it. I love the home stuff. Right. I have to do it your, your time <laughs> off, you know, having... Enjoy Hanging out with the kids or whatever, you're up in the in the insulation or changing hot water heaters, uh, expanding rooms or whatever the stuff you like to do. Exactly. Uh, and for some people, that is an enjoyable hobby uh, <laughs> that they like to do. But I think when you sell your home, oftentimes you discount those those investments that you made. Clearly, the, the time and effort it goes into, just the maintenance or other things that, that go in, are frequently probably overlooked or not counted oh, for. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a bit of a mental accounting. Hey, I paid X price. I sell it for X price. Well... Along the the years that you owned it, you probably, if you're like most folks, you you put some time at least into the maintenance, either yourself, you paid somebody to do it, or you you know, did various projects around the house to help improve the value of the home and maybe your level of comfort while you're living there. 
those things typically are not accounted for very well. No. So uh, our advice is, hey, you treat your primary residence. It's a, um, it's a lifestyle asset, and what it really does is provide a quality of life enjoyment yeah. that you get having memories with friends and family and being able to brag about the things you've done to the house and build it the way you like it and all yeah. those kinds of things. But don't fool yourself into the notion that I'm doing it because it's a great investment. Right. So yeah. and it's and it's okay, yeah. frankly, not to, to say, hey, this is a an asset I from which I derive, you know, pleasure and enjoyment and call it that. That's okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um it just you want to be careful as how you classify it in terms of your, your finances. Right. So the other areas of of real estate, Ethan, we we talk about are publicly traded REITs. Uh and that's something that we do include in our portfolios. Right. Anywhere from a small allocation up to ten percent. Uh, and that'll change over time depending on the percentage that real estate makes up on a publicly traded basis of the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we look at that on an annual basis, and we have different levels of portfolio. But publicly traded REITs, the benefit is that they allow you uh, efficient access to a diversified pool of real estate. So, Ethan, you know, you can you can own um, hundreds of properties of different geographical areas and different categories or sectors mm-hmm. of the market. And so typically uh, an individual REIT trades like a stock on the stock exchange. And that REIT may be focused on one particular, maybe it's, uh, maybe it is focused on um, commercial buildings. Hey, real quick, on yeah. a REIT, real, REIT, REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. That's right. Just for folks who may not be familiar with that term, we use uh, the word REIT because it's obviously simpler to say. Yeah. And the, it has a unique structure, a legal structure, in that unlike C corporations that common stocks are trading on the market, mm-hmm. the, the, they get taxed at two levels, the corporate level, and then when the dividends get passed on through to the investors, it gets taxed again. The REIT has a unique structure. Uh, it was created in a way that as long as they distribute a large percentage of the income. They have to distribute uh, 90% of their income to the shareholders, and 75% of the assets uh, have to be in real estate. Mm-hmm. They do not receive double taxation, so they're they're taxed um, at the investor level only. Right. So there's a unique structure around them as well. So they tend to pay, pay higher dividends than your typical equity stock. That's right. Equity position. So as I was saying, Ethan, they may be focused, a particular individual REIT may be focused on things like apartments or shopping malls, hospitals, hotels, or industrial real estate. And so you typically want to own more than one REIT. They also tend to have higher dividend yields because they do have to distribute 90% of their income. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have the ability to, most of them use leverage to a certain extent, just sure. like you would as an individual. So right. whatever benefits can be uh procured there, they, they have that ability. And historically, there's been several studies that show they've been a good diversifier to a stock and bond portfolio. Uh, from 1978 through 2010, REITs have outperformed United U.S. stocks. So REITs have done about 12.5% a year, relative to 11.4% on the S&P 500 over that same period. Mm-hmm. But they also have a very low relationship or correlation uh, the correlation over that period to U.S. stocks has been about 0.44. And we talked about that on one of our previous shows. Over the correlation, typically the less relationship 
the, the lower the relationship is. If, if It's still a positive correlation, meaning that we would expect when stocks go up, generally REITs will, will go up. Um, but the degree in which they do so and in the frequency of them doing so isn't perfectly matched with the stock market. Yeah, and just to be clear, you, you derive the, the diversification benefit from uh, the, the non-perfect correlation. So the lower the correlation, in this case, the better. So in, in uh, 2000, the bear market of 2000 to 2002, U.S. stocks declined 37, about almost 38 percent mm-hmm. uh, over those two calendar years, where REITs were were actually up. You had a positive return of 52 percent over that same exact period. So it was a period where they were a very, very good diversifier. Yeah, right. Now, they didn't do so hot during the financial crisis and the bubble, this recent uh real estate bubble, as it were. Right. Um, although things were bubbling in different areas. I mean, we're talking about single-family homes relative to publicly traded REITs. They haven't been a perfect connection between those two. Right. But the point of it is, why would we like, why would we like publicly traded REITs, Ethan, relative to buying a single-family home as an investment? Because it's being run as a, as a, as a business part mm-hmm. of it, right? So they're buying buildings or renting out. So you're getting the appreciation Oh boy, we need to take a break, Ethan. Already? And we'll jump back on, finish the reads, jump into some hedge funds. We'll be right back. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. 
Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right. Ethan, we're, we're back, Empirical Investing Radio. We're talking about alternative investments, and uh, we're in the category of real estate and uh, talking about publicly traded real estate investment trusts, REITs. Right. And uh, how over the last 30 years or so, uh, they've been a pretty good diversifier from stocks and bonds. And the, the other part of it, Ethan, um, and we talked about the correlation being 0.44, and uh, I just thought I'd mention over that same period, if you looked at international stocks, which we are great believers in for diversification, they had a correlation of point uh, around 0.64, so higher than the REITs. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you had REITs pro- producing a higher rate of return than U.S. stocks did mm-hmm. over that period. And finally, they've been a pretty good hedge of inflation. So the one thing that has been reasonable about uh, the real estate is they do it does have a good uh, historic relationship with inflation. Mm-hmm. So they bring that element as well to the portfolio. So that is how we engage in real estate currently. We take that and we divide up the U.S. REIT market, and we rather than own one REIT or us picking a handful, our recommendation is that you go out and you get an index that owns the entire group of REITs, so maybe 100 different publicly traded REITs inside of that index fund. That's right. So now you're getting diversification across the sector's geogra- geography, right, and the different industry classifications, mm-hmm. and you're getting it in a highly efficient manner. That is our recommendation. Yep. Um, feel free to call someone. We can certainly talk to you about how we're, how we're selecting those, those funds. Mm-hmm. Um, the other possibilities in real estate that we see a lot with individuals is they go out and directly buy it themselves. They'll start buying apartment buildings or rental properties or a commercial lot or space um, or land, or they'll get engaged in private partnerships to do so. Um, So, oh, the other thing on the publicly traded, we're using international REITs. We've gained access to that as well. So not only are we getting the diversification in the U.S. market. We're getting it all over the world. Mm-hmm. We're combining U.S. with with international. Okay, so back into the private, Ethan. Okay. I think you've experienced that, right? You've met individuals who've considered that? Sure. Okay, those are the other <coughs> options. We like those options less um, for a variety of reasons, and just to be brief here, one is the lack of diversification. So when you go out and you buy a direct property, you're going to buy an apartment building in downtown or in the Seattle metropolitan area, you really are tied to one geographic region's real estate market. Mm-hmm. You're not getting exposure across the entire country. So you can have an area of the, of, of the United States that does very poorly for an extended period of time. 
I know that's happened in various parts of California. It happened here in the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, it's happened in New York and other areas all over the country individually. Phoenix has gone through a huge bust in real estate, and who knows how long it'll take them to recover to ever get back to that peak. Right. So you don't get the you don't get the diversification. You also don't get it across sectors. So you're exposed to one thing, and that's housing. So you're not getting access to commercial, um, all the other industry sectors of real estate that we talked about. Exactly. So you're very concentrated. When you own it individually, you also are exposed to uh, the re the requirement to put in additional capital. So what's nice about when you buy a publicly traded REIT is they can't call you up and say, geez, Ethan, uh, we had some problems. You know, the roof <laughs> caved in. Uh, in your case recently, the hot water heater right. is, uh, is broken. And um, you need to get that taken care of, right? Uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, a situation where you've got to put in additional capital. So now you've got to keep money in reserve or liquid for that. Yeah, even if you're not, even if you're not uh, managing the property directly, you maybe have a property manager involved. You're still on the hook for capital requirements, right? Things go wrong that are unexpected. You got to have a some money on the sidelines sidelines on occasion to repair things and you know fix what might go wrong. And lastly, you now turn in a, an investment which can be received uh, I mean we talked about the 12 point some percent 12 and a half percent for the annually for, since 1978 on a publicly traded read. Um, that's passive, right? With limited liability, my investment was limited, as we just talked about, to what I put in. Right. I got 12.5%. I'd be very uh, interested in seeing people who bought a, a single-family home, rented it out, or a small apartment complex, rented it out and got a, a greater than 12.5% rate of return on their money over a 40-year period of time. Right. When if they give an accurate accounting of all the costs and the additional capital that they put in all along the way, right? depreciation of the building and everything they had to do to keep it up. So the other thing, though, Ethan, is that you, you, turn, in, um, you turn investing into a job. So you either have to go out and hire a manager, right? Yes. And so then that's going to reduce some of the return. Right. Because the manager that you're going to hire to, to manage your individual apartment complex is charging a lot more than what we're getting access through. On a read, on a publicly traded read basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're doing it yourself, you eliminate the the manager aspect of it, and you're managing things yourself. You're a very active participant in that, and that's a that's a real job. Right. You know, it, it takes a lot of work. Obviously, the more renters or tenants you have, the more potential problems and and things you're going to have to take care of, and that's a real active thing. And a lot of times, people discount that in terms of the time it, it takes to you know your time dedicated toward the maintenance of that particular investment. Uh, that that's worth something as well, and then would, right. if you account for it properly, it actually would go to reduce your actual return, obviously, right? Yeah. So the other area then is these private partnerships or private. You can get private REITs, right, that are in public trade, or direct private partnerships. Mm -hmm. And the idea being, well, if I pull my money with a group of investors, we'll get we'll get more diversification. Uh, the problem we have with that, the reason we've avoided it, and there's been a huge blow up here in Seattle. Uh, for this company called Meridian Fund Investors, and several uh, several local people were involved in this um, or lost money because they invested in these things. And two advisors uh, here, Kibble and Prentice and another firm called Cornerstone, very large registered investment advisors, so, had their clients mixed up in this. Right. 
Um, and the point of mentioning them is not that we want to rub their noses in it, but it's an area that we believe they should have never been involved in, primarily because when you get into these private partnerships, it's very hard to get transparency. So, you know, we exactly. talk about Bertie Madoff and some of these things. What went wrong? Well, the guy was in control of everyone's money, and he was printing the statements, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, well, what do you yeah. think they're doing in the private partnership, right? They're printing the statements. We're publicly traded. It's not that there can't be fraud in a public issue. It's just there are more checks and balances right. in a publicly traded entity mm-hmm. um, and more transparency. It's not perfect by any means, but that's why we diversify, right? Exactly right. The solution to how do we avoid an Enron situation where there was clearly some fishy stuff going on mm-hmm. was not, I never invest in a publicly traded company again. It's, well, I have the ability to own 10,000 stocks. There are going to be a few bad apples in the bunch here. Yeah. So diversification is my solution to that. Right. And I think the, these types of private real estate things, I mean, Talk to me. well, you know, they all sound probably pretty good. I mean, there is probably isn't one one prospectus or one offering that doesn't isn't designed to sound really good. Right. They, they typically over-exaggerate the returns and they frequently underestimate the risks involved. There's a lot of sizzle with yeah. this stuff. They're trying to sell it a lot of times, and you know it, it's because it, it's attractive to investors. Because usually, hey, we'll get you. It's pretty stable, and we'll get you higher, higher than bond rate of return with very little risk. Uh, but that just doesn't usually pan out. There's always, it seems like, uh, more often than not, there's something amiss with these types of things. And it, the problem, Ken mentioned already, it's the the lack of transparency to the actual investor that makes it difficult. Right, and it isn't worth the risk in our view. No. Uh, so, you know, our view and our, and we've avoided that asset class, um, just as we've avoided hedge funds. I thought we could move into that. Yeah, segment. sure. Um, we've, we believe we've saved our investors a great deal of frustration, um, by doing so and admitting our limitations. Uh, I think a lot of these advisors out there think that they know everything because they have a lot more knowledge than the average person. And it, you kind of have to come at this and say, well, geez, do I really know, um, and how do you know you know you yeah know. You, you, you don't want to be overconfident mm-hmm. and uh if i can't understand the investment if i can't get access or transparency to see what's going on and how it works and then when i put it in a theoretical framework of why would this do better investing in in mortgages in seattle or supposed property in seattle that's what was kind of going on and this why would that do better than a, a, a more well-established investment uh, vehicle that's doing it in a more diversified way. Just because I happen to live in Seattle, do I expect the returns to be higher? No. Yeah. But I but I'm definitely taking on more risk in a variety of reasons. Right. So jumping in, go ahead, Ian. No, that's it. Uh, okay. Seg- segwaying into uh, hedge funds, I'm gonna skip into that. We cover a lot, but we won't go through all of the different asset classes in right. here. I would. I do want to hit on gold though. Um, if we have time, we've we've got about two minutes here, and then one more segment. Okay. So hedge funds have they became wildly popular, uh, you know, in the last market downturn. Yeah, it's been uh, about they, a decade or so. They picked up a lot of steam, and they've continued to gain assets. Um, and it's an area that we did a lot of research on early on, and could not, for the life of us, figure out a reason why they should exist in our clients' portfolios. Yet other local advisors, that was their sales. They were signing clients left and right, uh, new clients, based on the fact that they had this product that would not go down with the stock market. Right. Um, 
we wouldn't we wouldn't do that, you know, just because I I think that's been the problem with Wall Street and the investment industry is taking the psychological disadvantages we have as investors, those behavioral flaws that we have, <laughs> uh-huh. and utilizing them and bring them to the lowest possible form, and uh, and exploiting people with this stuff, rather than saying, hey, no, this isn't good for you. It's like giving a kid a candy bar, you know, uh, for for every meal because they like it. Right, hey, right. they wanted it. Um, well, yeah, but it, well, it's not good for them, Ethan. Um, so, I, and I'm not saying that that people aren't bright that are involved in this stuff. We got to take a quick break. We'll come back and finish up on this hedge fund. Sounds good. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor, or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Spin It with Chuck Foreman has a spin on so much that's going on. It will be hard to fit it all into the promo. We'll talk about the weekend games, what to look forward to, hot topics in the news. Spin It Old School, which gives a back-in-the-day approach from Chuck. A no-spin zone where Chuck gives an unbiased opinion and lets you do the same. Chuck will be taking us around town and around the world with news, happenings, and more. It's football, news, and happenings. Tune in for Spin It with Chuck Foreman. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Ethan. 
Okay, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. We're talking about alternative investments in your portfolio, good ones, bad ones, which ones to embrace and which ones to avoid. And uh, in the avoid category, we put hedge funds, Ethan. And uh, we were just going to talk about that in our last segment here. We'll wrap up on hedge funds and get back to some other stuff next week. Sounds good. Hedge funds. So the, the, the idea of a hedge fund initially was that yeah you, you had a product um, that hedged out the risk of stocks going down by selling stocks short to offset stocks that you held long right so long means you own them short means you're selling them mm-hmm. that you stocks that you don't own so the general uh, first fund was 1949 actually a guy named Alfred Jones uh, set up the first hedge fund now from in 1990, there was about 50 billion in hedge funds, and there were about 530 different funds. Um, now there now there are 10,000 different funds managing two and a half trillion. Wow! And I think what's interesting about that that 10,000 and two and a half trillion is that they're constantly going out of business. They have a very high uh, mortality rate. These hedge funds <laughs> right. um, do, and uh, so they have strayed away from the original purpose of the hedge fund or the strategy, uh, instead of taking offsetting positions, so they were more of a what's called a market neutral. Um, there are all kinds of different approaches to hedge fund hedge fund strategies. So you have global macro, which is trading on predictions of global macroeconomic conditions. You have mm-hmm. what they call event-driven, uh, which are more predictions on corporate events, such as mergers, acquisitions, bankruptcies, that kind of stuff. You've got managed futures. You've got a whole list of different strategies. Uh, And part of the appeal used to be that you're targeting high returns by hiring these managers that are supposedly really bright guys to go out and do whatever they need to do to make money, but put in place strategies that won't go down if the stock market goes down. So they're kind of were being propositioned as these high return, because otherwise you just buy treasury bills, right? If you didn't want stock market risk, why wouldn't you just buy treasury bills or right. CDs? Well, the reason is because you supposedly would get higher rates of return right. with the hedge funds with without the stock market type risk. Mm-hmm. The problem is the empirical data now, as you can get it, tracking these hedge funds have shown that they're, they don't have great returns. Um, the expenses are exorbitant. Mm-hmm. They have very, uh, very low... Um, transparency so because of the nature and the structure of them being marketed to higher net worth individuals they don't have to register historically they haven't had to register and file what their positions are so you don't know what they're doing exactly mm-hmm. uh, and they tend to be illiquid you don't have daily pricing you don't have daily access to liquid data out of your funds the uh, the average cost even when we're talking about high costs the average fund charges two percent plus 20% of any profits. Um, so as an example, if the fund went up 12% a year, that would mean the management fee would be about 4%. Mm-hmm. Separately from those charges, uh, there are an extra 1.95, almost 2% in adma- administrative fees they often charge. It's separate from that. Wow. Um, now, normally, you get some sort of advisor involved, or you're investing in what we call a hedge fund of funds, uh, which... Many advisors will say, "Hey, we'll put a pool and we'll start, we'll start managing a, a group of hedge fund managers." They're charging a fee on top of all that, right? And so, 
when you run the numbers, even if there was true talent with some of these managers, most of it over a long period of time would get eaten away with the exorbitant amount of expense. And if it was a taxable account, they are notoriously tax inefficient. Mm-hmm. So it's it doesn't make for a good asset class. Um, it never would be something historically. Now, maybe there'll be huge shifts in how the things are done in the future with these types of funds that would open our uh, open our options up to where we would examine them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a, a perfect example, when you think of something that supposedly would be a low risk or no risk, uh, in that we were just reading an article, there's a hedge fund manager named Peter Thiel, who was one of the early uh, investors, venture capitalist guys that got involved with Facebook. Everyone seems to be in love with the whole Facebook craze. I know you're on there hours a day, Ethan, typing away vigorously. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I can't get enough, I'll be honest with you. Chit-chatting I love your it. life away with your friends. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this guy, Peter... Uh, he, I noticed that we're, we're not linked on there. We're not, we're not friends on Facebook. No, we yeah. don't have time for that, guys. Exactly. Like us. Um, but uh, no, there's nothing I'm wrong just with that. It's just fun. Peter, anyway, he this really bright guy... Um, and a lot of these guys come from very astute um, backgrounds of higher education, Stanford no and Harvard and the leading institutions. are amazing. Which makes me nervous because it, it does tend to give people a false sense of security um, with, with these, that, hey, these are bright people. Yeah. Um, they also tend to be dynamic and, you know, like many celebrities almost. Charismatic a bit. Um, very charismatic. Right. And anyway, his fund, the Ch- the Clarum Fund, um, and this according, we're just reading this off of uh, an article by a guy named Felix Salmon here. Uh, the This fund went down 65% from the, in this most recent market downturn. And um, it's, it's assets under management, um, are down 90% from their peak point. Mm-hmm. And then the fund's returns from the high point went down 65%. So basically, the fund's kind of imploding on itself here. Um, that's happened quite a bit, quite a bit more than I think people realize when they're being sold hedge funds that, geez, I can actually lose money in these things. Um, so there are a large variety of flaws. And if we look at the data to wrap this segment up here, Ethan, on the returns of hedge funds, because they often get, you know, again, when market, we go through market downturns is when a lot of this stuff becomes popular and vogue. Right, uh, if you're looking for alternatives and things. Yeah, if you look, we, we put, Steve put our, our analyst Stephen put together a list of asset classes that we use in our portfolios. And you look from 1998 to 2010, uh, out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight asset classes, um, hedge funds, you know, were... We're at the bot. We're the bottom third uh, in terms of performance. So they did beat U.S. large companies and international large companies. You know, for yeah, the last decade. Like. Yeah, mm-hmm. those were poor. If we look at through 2003 through 2010, which encapsulated the the financial crisis, mm-hmm. hedge funds were the worst performing asset class of one. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight different um, groups we put together from whether it was stocks, U.S. stocks, international stocks, small cap stocks, value stocks, um, government bonds, they were at the bottom. Wow. If you pull down our paper, you can see what we're, we're talking about right. here. So a lot of the reason for the 2003-2010 segment is a lot of people were sold these after the 2000 through 2002 downturn. 
only to be in one of the worst performing <laughs> For the asset next seven classes. years. And these are the hedge funds that actually report performance. We could go on and on about the survivorship bias and issues with the reporting that exactly. goes on. Exactly. So these are just include the ones yeah. that have made it through the period, the numerous ones that have closed during that same period. So our advice to you is, if you're coming across any of these alternative asset classes, you need to talk to somebody with who's not pitching you the product, an independent person with some knowledge about how these things work, if you don't have that capability yourself, and you better understand it before you get involved. Ethan, that's all we have from Prickle Investing Radio all right. for the show. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time. Sounds good. Talk to you later. All right. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you next week. The advice given on this show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended as investment advice. Please consult a financial advisor before undertaking any investment decisions. While the show's producers have tried to provide accurate and timely information and have relied on sources they believe to be reliable, the show may include inadvertent technical or factual inaccuracies. Ken Smith and Ethan Broga do not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the materials provided and expressly disclaim any warranties or merchantability or fitness for a particular purpose. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.